0: have your bibles i'd ask you to find john chapter 5 tonight you know it's not even the feature of the text you'll be tempted to think it's the feature of the text but it's not the feature of the text is not do you want to be healed the feature of the text is basically uh, jesus is supreme But that question just hangs out over the text. Do you want to be healed? Is that, I mean, do you want it? You know, when people say to me, like, uh, do you want to be skinny? I go, no, there's too many things that I want to taste. I do not want to be skinny. And so they could pronounce all they want, be thou skinny. I do not name it and claim it. I eat it and feel it, but that text, it hangs there. Do you want to be healed? I see a good friend of mine in the medical profession is here tonight, and I guarantee you, Molly, you've talked to somebody before, and they say, you would just do such and such. You'll feel a lot better, and they nod like you're nodding at me, and they go and They, you know, know. (laughs) no. So they're answering with their actions, no, I don't want to feel any better. So I want you guys to think about it for a moment because I'm not going to hang with it much once we get into the passage. Do you want to be healed? Do you want God to touch not just the painful physical areas in your life but the painful emotional areas? Do you want God to touch the painful spiritual areas? I'll never forget one time I broke my thumb so badly that it was laying all the way back. I broke the socket and I flipped it over. And when I did that, it was both the best thing that ever happened to it and the worst in the same moment. And I got to the emergency room and I had to wait a long time. The doctor comes in. This is in the old days. They were on call. He comes in, and I could tell that if he hadn't been playing golf, he had at least been wearing golf clothes all day. And the first thing he does is he grabs that spot and says, does it hurt? And I almost took this right hand and knocked him out. And I said, oh, what gave you that impression? The fact is it's the size of a football or what? Um, God will touch a very painful area. He knows it hurts. He wants to know, do you Want it to be healed. It reminds me of Jesus visiting the coffee shop. He comes in and sits down, and a man sees him, and he goes, "Wow!" Asks the waitress, "Is that Jesus in the corner?" And she says, "Yeah, it is." Says, "Send him a cup of coffee on me." Pretty soon, a, a guy, another guy, comes in the shop and sees Jesus. Waitress, is that Jesus? Yes, Jesus. Wow, send him a cup of tea on me. Another guy walks in the coffee shop and sees Jesus. Is that Jesus? Yes, it's Jesus. Wow, Jesus is in our coffee shop. He walks over and says, I want to buy you a Coca-Cola. And he does. Jesus finishes these beverages, and as he's leaving, he he touches the first guy and says, "Be healed," and the guy does a backflip out of the coffee shop, praising the Lord. Goes to the second guy and touches him and says, "Be healed," and the guy does a cartwheel leaving the coffee shop. Starts over to that third guy and he says, "Wait a minute, Jesus, I'm drawing disability." It'll take a while for some of y'all. I mean, really, and some of us, you say, I'm, "He's not talking to me. I'm not drawing disability," but some of us. We love to worry, and we don't want Jesus to touch that. Some of us love to blame our bad attitude on our station in life, and we don't want Jesus to touch that. Some of us don't want him to get into our business. And so we say, hold on, Jesus, I enjoy hamburgers. Don't, Don't touch this. And so I have a question, just because it hangs out over the passage. It's not the point. But I have a question. Do you want to be healed. Tonight, we're going to see Jesus is going to further unveil his messianic identity. And we're going to see that there are going to be some people who love this and some people who love darkness will resent it and they will reject him who is light. Join me, if you would, in John chapter number five, beginning at verse number one. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids. Look at this list, guys. Blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for, anybody see it? 38 years. How many people in here are 38 years or younger? Raise your hand. Raise them high. 38 or younger. Wow. The majority. More than not. More. This guy had been an invalid for longer than most of you have been alive. Verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool where the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to what? Kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Let's pray. Father, we don't have the capacity to receive this as revelation without the power of God. We will be tempted to deal with it as a literary device. We'll be tempted to place ourselves in the story. We'll be tempted to look at this in our weak wisdom. So, Holy Spirit, we humbly ask you to give us understanding, wisdom. Grant us illumination more than anything. Commune here with your people and with our friends. Father, we don't want to deal with this as a piece of literature. We want the author to speak. May we be like so many little Samuels crying out, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. In Jesus, I pray, amen and amen. Let me do a little bit of scene setting and house cleaning. I I want you to see something. Have you guys noticed already, Jesus is not on a random journey. He's just not. not. He goes to a place where there's just one woman, a woman and a whale, at just the right time, and he engages with that woman. Then he goes to where there is a crowd and singles out a guy. There is no randomness in the sovereignty of God. I can't tell you how many times somebody will give God a false name. They'll have the right God. They'll give him a false name. They'll say things like, we were lucky that, fill in the blank, as it happened, blank, no, this is God. He is sovereign. He is king. And what I love is if you get singled out by Jesus, whether you're alone or in a crowd, you be sure of this. He's not on a random journey. Secondly, secondly, I want you guys to notice. He goes and picks one guy out. And did anybody pick up that detail? He picked that guy out, done a thing, and left. I, um, everybody has somebody in their family who comes to the family events and just eats and leaves. I'd rather have Jesus in my family. Just come heal somebody and leave. It's a lot more productive. I want you to note this because it is supremely important. There's all sorts of, let me call it what they are, Clay, idiotic musings about why Jesus did this. My favorite one is he didn't want to be swamped. He didn't want to be swamped. Mm -mm. He did it because he had something bigger in mind than the crowd. When he reached out to this one person, there was something bigger. One last bit of house cleaning to set the stage. Did anybody of your own accord notice something when we read the passage? Where's verse 4? Now, because I'm going to talk really fast in the next couple minutes, I put the bulk of what I'm saying there in your bulletins for you, too, to study it a little bit later on. There's no verse 4 because when our friends... Our friends say amen when our friends who gave us the English Bible that we call the King James Bible, when they were doing their expert analysis of the Greek and Latin and Hebrew texts where we get the King James Bible from, they did not have access to the thousands of manuscripts that modern scholars do. And here's what we've learned. And you take the King James Version, the New King James Version, the Young's Literal Translation, you take the Geneva Study Bible, many other older texts based out of the same grouping of materials, it's fairly obvious that what they were working with had verse 4 in it. But if you find the greater collection of much older manuscripts, verse 4 isn't in those older manuscripts. If I was preaching from the King James Version tonight, I would be explaining to you why we read verse 4. I'm preaching from the ESV. I'm explaining why we didn't read verse 4. Does verse 4 subvert your faith in any sort of way? Negatory. You might think of it as John MacArthur's great, 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 granddaddy gave us a little study Bible note there. And the followers thereafter were faithful to copy it over and over and over again. But truth be told, the oldest, most reliable manuscripts, the broad report of scholarly work today tells us verse 4 was not there. Everybody who understands what I'm saying, say amen. So if you happen to be using an NIV, an NASV, a Holman Christian Standard, a Christian Standard Bible, if you happen to be using the ESV tonight, there's nothing wrong with your bible. Just the greater scholarly work says verse 4 wasn't there a long time ago and it got stuck in at some point. Are you with me? I brag all the time that the elders and the folks here like Steve who take take this podium in a few weeks, we preach every verse. Amen, Steve, we don't skip verses. So it looks like tonight I did what? I didn't. Get off my back, people. So tonight, I have two tremendously important, huge points, and we'll be out of here and off to raid the Mexican restaurants. The first one you've seen in front of you for the last few moments. Among the multitude, Jesus selects a man for healing and to show the Messiah's true desire. Let me dig into this for a few moments. Let let, let me point this out. The man was made well in the moment because of the power of God. Now, why is this important? This is important for this huge reason. Every time you think Elijah, Elisha, Moses, whoever, every time God gives big time power to somebody, it's not even about the big time power. It's about the big time power proving that the messenger is from God so that you will give heed to the what? Message. Now, I'm going to move toward the end so I can speak about the beginning. Don't forget, when the gospel of John is coming toward its conclusion in John chapter 20 and verse number 31, it tells us right there that he did all these signs so that you might, anybody remember? Believe. He did all these signs. Why? that you might believe. The point of the signs is so that we might believe. So Jesus picks a guy from out of the multitude to grant him healing. Now, this is an amazing gift to this guy's life. But it's not even the greater point of what Jesus is doing. Scan down to verse number 14. Scan down to verse 14. When you see what you think I mean, somebody say amen. Just quietly read it, and when you see it, say amen. You guys see it? The greater point of healing this man was for this man's salvation and also for ours. You say, preacher, where do you get that? Look at the second part of verse 14. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. You sit there and think, what could be worse than being so crippled for so long that you can't pull yourself even to a place where healing might be possible? What could be worse? I can tell you, to me, to me, that's worse than death. That scenario is worse than death. So I used to jump out of airplanes. And believe it or not, it wasn't dying that frightened me. Now, back when I was young, when I was 18 years old, and I jumped out of my first plane, and we're looking around, and most of us are 18, 19, 20 years old. I think there might have been one guy who was really old, like 25. You know, we were calling him Grandpa and stuff. We were asking each other, Are you afraid? What do you think every young dude said? No. <laughs> I was scared to death. It took me till I was forty-five years old to admit that I had been scared when I was eighteen. <laughs> I, I'm no lie. I told that lie. something. no, I do not I just jumped out that plane, scared to death every single time, and I did it a bunch of times, a bunch of times, bunch of times. I wasn't scared of dying. The old joke is it's not the fault it hurts you, it's a sudden stop. I was afraid of getting crippled. I really was. I did not and do not like the notion that I can't go, get up and go do what I want to do. I do not like the notion that somebody's going to have to care for me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But there's something worse even than that. And I heard somebody say it. What's worse is hell. This guy goes to the temple, and those guys say, You know, hey, who, you know, what are you doing walking around with that mat? He said, The guy told me to. Who was it? I don't know. Jesus slips back in and he gives this guy a much larger warning. Now, there's all kinds of reasons that God might heal, and there's all kinds of episodes of God's healing in the scriptures. But brothers and sisters, what is more important than anything is that a soul might find peace with God, that we would be lifted from under his wrath, placed at the foot of his throne, given mercy that we don't deserve, grace that we never deserved, and find a place of peace with God, a position of family in God's household through Jesus Christ. The greater point of this story is that he does this sign so that we'll say that the messenger is legit. This miracle of healing was for that guy, but guess who else it was for? It was for Carson, and it was for Mike. It was for Barbara, and it was for Shannon. It was for Robin. It was for Steve. It was for Katie. So Katie and Steve and Robin and Mike and all of you guys would see Jesus is legitimately a messenger from God. What is his message? Repent, for the kingdom of God is where? At hand. You see so many beautiful things. I owe a debt of gratitude to John Piper's preaching on this passage. I love how he pointed out that Jesus had knowledge of all that was going on. He knew the situation. He knew the man. I love how Piper, if you want to look, this, look it up, you can listen to a wonderful sermon on this. I love how John Piper pointed out the compassion of Jesus, how he chooses to go to the pool. And if you know Piper, you know, he was leaning out over the pool. He chooses. I'm like, I got you, Johnny. Move on. And then it hit me later on. Jesus has ever shown up. The Holy Spirit has ever pointed you out. That was a divine choice out of heaven into the earthly realm, breaking through all of our sin, shame, and sorrow and saying, hey, I'm talking to you. Compassion isn't random. Don't forget, sympathy is feeling for, empathy is feeling with, compassion is feeling and saying, I'll join you. John Piper also pointed out Jesus' power, how he's able to heal fully and completely. But what I think is way more important than any of this is that Jesus heals this guy so that this guy could escape the worst thing. I love Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. I quote it all the time in all sorts of settings. There, the scripture says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Can you imagine Jesus sliding into the quiet corridors of the temple and saying in your ear, hey, buddy, you think this being healed was something? You're escaping something much worse than that. That's when I would quote the great theologian Scooby-Doo. brothers and sisters I guarantee you if you're sitting in here you got something that ails you something in your body probably a hypochondriac or two in the crowd everything ails you be quicker for you to make a list of what doesn't hurt and bother you than it would to make a list of what does I tell you in Christ every believer is going to get a new body but outside of Christ outside of Christ they're just going to get hell do you see what's worse in this passage do you see what's worse I love Luke chapter 12 you might know the story it's the it's the where Jesus tells a parable about a rich man who who has been successful and the man starts to ponder you know Um, he starts to ponder what he's going to do with his wealth. I love how Jesus warns this guy, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, even coveting physical health. You ever thought about that? Some people consume their lives wanting to be healthy. Some people love fitness. Anybody here love fitness? I, I... I do it every day. I pick out my clothes. And say, I wonder if I can fit in this. I'm a big fitness guy. You see this warning here? Beware, take care, be on your guard. One's life does not consist of the abundance of possessions. One's life does not consist in the abundance of feeling good. One's life does not consist in the abundance of ease. One's life does not consist in the abundance of having no problems. And he goes on to say, let me explain that there's something bigger afoot. He tells this story, and he says, wow, this guy comes to the end of his life in a rather rapid way. He says, God said, I like the King James in this one, thou fool. Fool. It sounds worse than King James, doesn't it? Thou fool. Tonight, your soul is required of you, and who's going to get all this stuff? go back to the passage Jesus healed this man and it changed his life and that's important but what's more important is Jesus transferred his eternity now I can't tell you who all is going to get a physical healing on earth somebody say amen but I do know and I'll quote John Piper here that if you are healed you are healed for holiness and if you are saved you are saved for holiness you're saved to be set apart to walk with God. Secondly, secondly, this is a crazy part of this story. Ignoring the miracle, the Jews take offense and reject the light. Do you got, did you guys, I, I heard a couple of people giggle, and it delighted me that they, they got it. They got it just like I got it. They, you know, they don't, say, they don't say, hey, man, whoa, who done that miracle? That would have been my question. Guy walks up and he says, You know, I've been crippled 38 years and I'm running around this city today. I'd have been, Do what? How'd that tell me more? Instead, what's their question? Boy, what are you doing carrying that mat around? Did anybody catch up besides me? It, you know, it probably seemed strange and perhaps confusing to the guy who had just experienced a miraculous healing. You know, he probably say,ing You know, I was, I, you know, I was carried to the pool today, but now I'm, I'm, I've walked in here and, and I'm healed and, and and I'm so excited. I don't even need to be carried home today. I'm going to go home. My family's going to be so delighted to find me healed. And their question is, uh, now who told you you could carry your bed around? They were more concerned with the man who broke the Sabbath than they were the God who did the miracle. Pause. You guys see the invisible question hanging in this passage? Hey, religious people, do you have your priorities in order? Are you more excited about the little rules that annoy you or the God who is greater than all the little rules? I love this passage. You go back to John chapter 3, verse 19, and remember what the Bible says there. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because why, church? That works for evil. (laughs) What were these guys doing? They were controlling what they could control. You want a fun experiment? Uh, Hey, Clay, give me that book behind you. It looks like a book. It's not a book. Yeah, grab that for me. See, carpet's messed up. Got to get some new carpet. Look at this. They have a shelf of these books. This is one. Yeah, Casey walked in a room with four women, and he says, which one do you like? And they said, six colors. (laughs) Am I lying, Casey? Three of them were my women, so I can pick on my women. Pick one, I like this one. We're, We're not we're not so good. We're not so good with, with, with the details, are we? We're, we're terrible. We all want our own way, don't we? If you want to do a fun experiment tonight, let's pass this around, and everyone initial the one they like. Uh, Hank and I decided we're gonna get red just to aggravate everybody. All right, <laughs> Hank. I said, Hank, which one you want? Both of us at the same time. Point it right at red. I said, oh, that'll get them. I'll start coming in the front door just so I can walk the red carpet. It's a silly illustration that I didn't know was going to happen today, but I also didn't know Casey would walk in a room full of four women and get six kinds of carpet choices. Barbara will tell you. Barbara, Barbara picked two or three herself, just herself. <laughs> we didn't even send her in with people. She just had it all to herself. But, Barbara, I brought this up at this point, and I know you won't mind me telling this. She says, I like this one. Now, now get this comment. She liked this one until I brought it under the light. And I don't like this, one. I like this other one. Isn't it amazing what the light will do? We love control. There, 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 has been, there have been churches who have split over things like deciding. I mean, that was the, the seed behind the great argument, the color of the carpet. Uh, maybe what we should do, maybe what we should do is make nothing match, so it'll be just like our opinions, all jumbled up. We're leaning toward Providential Gray. Maybe it's just the name. (laughs) Maybe it's just the name. You know what I mean? Just take the name. Providential Gray, you know. What were these guys doing? They were upset about things that they had some say over. And they were missing the big stuff that God wants to have some say over. They loved their realm of control. Go back and look at the latter part of that passage. That day was the Sabbath. So what are they doing? Rather than ushering people or attempting to push people into the presence of God, they're being the police. Now, it's no small thing to break a spiritual law, a law of the day. But here's what's happened. Someone who has command over all material and emotional matter has transcended the moment. And there's something bigger afoot. You take, for example, if we're picking out carpet today, what would we be doing if a tree limb flew through the roof tonight? We wouldn't be worried about the carpet. I think it's interesting whenever you bring something into the light, the capital L light, it really does clear up, or it ought to clear up how we think about it. Here's what I am absolutely sure of. I mean, I'm absolutely sure of this. What God is most interested in is his glory. Let the church say he's most interested in his glory. And the point of this story isn't that the guy got healed. The point of this story isn't that some guys got upset. The point of this story is that the Father is glorified in the works of the Son The son is affirmed through the power work of God, and that son has a message. What message should we hear? We should hear, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. We should hear, the time is now. Believe on the Lord Jesus. There's no passage I know more powerful to point out how jealous and zealous God is for his glory than Isaiah chapter 48 Verses 9 through 11, it is, I mean, it is just packed. Any of you Bible students, look at this. For my name's sake, I defer my anchor. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. Why? He answers it. Why? Church, read it with me. Verse 11, for my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Is God zealous for his glory? God will do a great thing for you out of the basis of his knowledge, out of the basis of his goodness, out of the basis of his compassion, but never lose sight of this. His chief end is his glory. Why does this man get healed for the glory of God? Why does this man get healed so that he could escape something worse? For the glory of God. Why does this man get healed? So that we might believe the messenger and his message for the glory of God and become a people who have been called out of the darkness, lovers whose lives have been drawn into the light, where we find that even if we go into heaven missing an eye, a leg, or in my case, a bunch of teeth, we're going into heaven. Amen. So what's the point of this passage? There are many. There are many. Don't miss the greater message. The greater message is Jesus is the divine messenger whose message must be heard. Don't miss some of the smaller messages, just like those ones Piper pointed out, his knowledge, his compassion, his power. Those are good lessons. I believe one of the coolest things about it is it gives us a foretaste, a picture, a glimpse into the resurrection. This week, uh, most of you guys have heard me say it, I got a, kind of a tricky back, and sometimes it just goes out. This week, this whole entire week, it's felt like my back's been on the ledge. It's been on the, you know, about to fall off a cliff all week long. And I've been really thankful for that. Because I've kept, because of this passage and studying it over and over again, I've kept saying. Well, you know what? You know what? I know I'm going to heaven because of Jesus. I know I'm escaping wrath because of Jesus. I've dealt with my back all week, and I keep saying, if you don't heal this body, this soul is well. Amen? And it's given me a lot of joy. And I've even wondered sometimes, isn't God giggling over this thing? What's the conclusion of this matter? I can't say it any better than it's said in John 20. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. There's no other name given among men, no other name under heaven given among men that you might be saved, this name, Lord Jesus. Why does he heal this man? For his glory. Why does he heal this man? For his good. Why does he heal this man? So we'll know that the message is true. The messenger is from God. The big question today is, do you believe the message? The sort of question hidden under that is, do you want to be healed? The other question hanging under that is, do you celebrate Jesus having his way? Or do you push for your way? Tonight, I have a double invitation. The invitation first goes to my brothers and sisters. When is the last time, when is the last time you just took account and said, I know, I know there is something worse than my suffering? What's worse? Suffering without God. When is the last time you just humbled yourself and said, God, maybe this crisis, maybe, perhaps, this is for my sanctification? And out of that said, Sanctify me, do your thing, God. When's the last time you said that? Or maybe you're sitting here tonight and you're like this man. You've never known who's been talking to you. I'm telling you, it was Jesus. If somebody's telling you that your soul has reason to be afeared, it's Jesus. Why is he doing that? Because there's something worse than suffering, and that's suffering without Jesus. This altar's yours. It's a gift. It was given to us in 1948 by some people we don't even know. But it was really from God. It was built in 1948, but it's really from God. He gave it to us. It's a place where we bow our body low so that our spirits might be lifted high. It's a place where we humble ourselves before the living God and call out to him. Christian, maybe you need to draw near to God. Or maybe you haven't given your life to God yet, and your first thing is to say, I believe, I receive. I believe Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sin. I receive him as Lord God Would you take me into your family? His answer will be yes in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this moment in the sun. Thank you for this testimony in the Gospel of John. This testimony that was seen of many witnesses is being testified to us by the Holy Spirit, and its point is clear, that we might see his works Realize he is the messenger. Believe his message and have life. Refresh those who have life. Call people into life. In Jesus I pray, amen and amen.